Hello, Doctor. Thank you for, for seeing me today. Oh, no problem, no problem. Uh, how, how can I help you? What, what seems to be the problem? Well, I've been struggling to come up with ideas for skits. I'm usually, like, really mm. good. I usually don't have any problem. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll even have them done a few days in mm. advance. But mm. this, this week has been, like, a real struggle. I was just, mm, just squeezing and squeezing and I just couldn't get anything out. Okay, let me have a look. Let me have a look. Uh-huh. Um, we'll test here. And um, have, a, have a measure here. Ooh, that's a bit. That's Ooh. a bit tender there. Okay, I think I see what the problem is. Uh-huh. Um, you are full of ideas. Oh, that's good. But I think you've been squeezing from the middle and not from the end. Oh, so you've you've got a lot down in the toes that mm-hmm. you needed. You need to be squeezing from the end and sort of rolling up as you go to get them up to the top. <sighs> okay, for once, I guess I should have listened to my parents. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Greetings, strangers, queer and pleasant. I'm not Laura Kate Magnetdale. And I'm not Jane Harris Magnetdale. And welcome to another episode of Queer and Pleasant Strangers. It's a podcast for two queer trans women, that's us, we're wifey types, have a bit of a silly catch-up about media we've consumed in the week, while trying to do silly voices and skits at each other. Just have a silly old catch-up. Oh, no, no, I'm tasty media. How are you doing? I'm sleepy little bean, how are you doing? I'm sleepy little bean too. I I used up all of my brain working on a very silly thing. You and did? I have nothing left in the tank. Apparently that was all all the brain I had for the day was used up in like an hour and a half. Now, were you squeezing from the from the toes? I think that was the problem, is I wasn't, I wasn't squeezing from the toes, and uh, now I know, but it's it's a little late in the day for me to get rolling the whole thing up and, rolling, and, and rolling, find, rolling. find the energy that's currently around my knees, I guess. Ooh, energy knees. Energy knees. <laughs> anyway, we played stuff this week. We did. Do you uh, want to tell us about a thing that you've played? Sure. Um, I don't think this had come out by the time we recorded last week. We've been playing a lot of Deep Rock Galactic Survivors. Yes, we have. Quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the first week where we've been able to talk about it. Um, um I mean, we briefly talked about the, the, um... The demo. The demo, when that yeah. happened. So this is like a Vampire Survivors. It's a sort of top-down, your weapons auto-fire in a specific pattern, try and kill off the waves of enemies that are trying to kill you kind of game. Uh, based on Deep Rock Galactic, which is a like a, a first person mining co op game. Yeah, uh, space dwarves. Go, yeah, do a, do a mining for various things. Uh, but there's a, like it's a pretty crowded field. The survivor likes the vampire derivers. Vampire derivers. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that I think this is doing well to differentiate itself. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, it's 3D, which very few of these are. 3D yeah. character models. Runs really well. I was surprisingly. I was dubious how well it would run on Steam Deck with 3D character models and hundreds of enemies swarming, but yeah. they've optimized it very well. Seems like. You have mining mechanics, yeah. uh, which are pretty integral to. Sometimes they'll be for like uh, little sub missions, uh, sub objectives going on. Sometimes they're to get like resources that will help you buy stuff between stages. Sometimes it's just dig a tunnel to get away from the mass of things following me that I'm not strong enough to kill yet. Yes. Um. And I like that the mining is just automatic. You just put your character facing a rock and they start mining. Yep. And that it doesn't stop you shooting. You can be shooting while mining still in most cases. Yeah, it obviously depends on the weapon. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a complaint they had a bit of um, during the initial demo. Because a lot of people... Well, there were so many complaints. It, it seemed to be weird. Like, D- DRGC is always, like, legendary spoken of as having one of, the, like, the best communities. Mm. Um, for any number of reasons. I guess mostly because it's a co-op, and I yeah. imagine that fosters a lot of, of goodwill between people. I think 
it's it's weird that so many people have been like, I'm not happy with why why is it single player? Why is it why is it a driver's uh, why is it? Uh, why can't you point where your where your bullets are going to go? Because that's not the fucking genre. The genre is your bullets go where they go. Pick a build that suits where you want the bullets to go. Well, I mean, there, there are games in this genre that do. There are. Like, uh, I think Twenty Minutes Till Dawn. Have, yeah. Um, directable shots. Uh, there's one Void Void uh, Void Bastards. Void, uh, void Scrappers. It might be the one where you're in the sky. Um, yeah. Yeah, that one. Void I think Bastards is yeah. the um, first person. Yes, Void Scrappers. I think like. The default is it will auto shoot, but if you use your stick, it'll aim, and then you let go of the stick, and it goes back to like auto doing its targeting. Yeah. Didn't Bone Razor have a um, thing where you could like? Oh no, I'm still thinking. Yeah, minutes to it on. A, a few of them have like mechanics around that, but I, I, I think it's very core to the genre to make this kind of choice. Yeah. Um, Halls of Torment. Halls of Torment oh, has directable, yes. but yes. you can set it to um, automated. Automated. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I I like some of the weapons that don't follow that core structure, uh, particularly ones like the uh, the turrets where you have to stand still for a second to deploy them. To deploy, yeah. Um, all of your weapons. It's not like Vampire Survivors where they have like have this weapon and this accessory and they combine and evolve. It's more at level six, level twelve, level eighteen. Your weapons get like a big buff and. Those big buffs, um, the, the the level 18 one is a ridiculously big buff, so you can either sort of really spec into one thing or get a few big buffs across your sort of loadout. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are going through like five depth layers uh, trying to do whatever the objective is, survive, get back to the ship, go further down, all towards a big dreadnought at the bottom. Yeah, so the first four levels will follow the, the standard routine of... There will be a number of swarm waves, yep. which will be quite overwhelming initially. Mm-hmm. Then at some point there will be a drop pod, and as opposed to just calling a drop pod as you would in, in normal yeah. Deep Rock, you are, it's just on a timer, it will happen at this time, and, you have and to- it may end up in an area where there is some sort of debris in yeah. the area, so you have to clear the landing zone, and then it will and, and stand within the zone, and it will drop them, which is great for finishing off. It is, if you Chunks can survive long enough standing in the circle to kill a bunch of them with the drop pod coming in. Yeah, I found quite an interesting one with that, is like you could almost fill it, move out, sort of try and kite around, and then fill it back in the last little bit. Mm. Can work quite well sometimes. It's great, like there's been a couple of times where I've just, because I've been playing with the sound off, I've completely yeah. forgotten that the drop pods even happened, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm up to the boss at the end of the, the wave, <laughs> I should... I should really go and get that before the the thing finishes. And generally speaking, I can drop the drop pod right on top of the boss, which will, for most bosses, finish it in one go. And that's yeah. good. Um, and then you have stage five, where you will have three eggs, and each of those eggs will contain what would normally be an end of stage boss. Yep. And then once you've defeated all three, you can... Try and hang out for a little bit, but eventually, at the end of the timer, instead of a normal boss coming out, you're going to have a Dreadnought. And yep. the Dreadnought has this whole attack pattern of, first of all, it will come find you, wherever you yep. happen to be. It will basically like l- like do a little pose of, I'm d- about to do the thing, and then just launch itself towards yeah, you. Yeah, so you have to sort of see the thing coming and have enough room to like take a like a 45 degree turn out the way. Yes. Um, so Before at that point, you really kind of want a decent amount of movement speed and a decent amount of uh, like mining power, because yeah. the quicker you can mine and make yourself an exit, yes. the better. 
Yeah, um, and there are currently three stages that have, like, different, uh, sort of environmental stuff going on yeah, with them. Yeah, different you've, biomes. You've got the, the basic biome, you've got a lava one, and you've got one with vines that regrow. Yeah, um, so this is themed on, um, the, uh, magma caves and the, uh, hollow bow levels from, from the base game, yeah. and I can't remember what the first one's based on. Uh, but for each of these biomes, you have, like, three big objectives that help you unlock, like, more stages, more difficulty modes, etc. Yes, so you've got mul- uh, five hazard levels per stage. Uh, yep. Uh, so you can, you can just keep turning the difficulty up on a particular stage if you've, you've done it yep. before, and you've got your sort of permanent upgrades between runs. Uh, that's the other thing you're mining for, is to get resources for permanent upgrades. Yes. It's really good. I like a lot of things it's doing. Um, it, it's, it's quote unquote only got four starting characters, but I think those four starting characters all feel really distinct. And have multiple options of starting weapons that help them feel more distinct beyond that. Yeah, so you've got the four basic character classes that yeah. you have in normal Deep Rock. The Scout, the Gunner, the Driller, and the Engineer. Yep. They each have their own sort of default loadout for weapons. Yep. And the sort and of the, weapon pool they can access. And then each of the classes that you can unlock, most of those are by playing further. Uh, mm. Along with that particular character, most of those classes will have like a very specific setup. Like yeah. the engineer's initial setup is you have the turrets that you have to stand still to drop down for, for yeah. a second, and they automatically are just better at building those things. Yes. The second version of the engineer is, I think, called the Tinkerer. Mm. They start with the shotgun. And an ability to get more XP. I think they get like 10% XP buff. Yeah. Um, and I, I like how different, like, not only the characters, but as you say, those sort of starting weapon slash buff are. Um, I've definitely gravitated to a couple more than others. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the driller, I really, really like. Um, I've been having a lot of fun with them. Um, I've been really enjoying the engineer. Um, the gunner, I've been coming back around on. I really enjoyed them when they were like the first one beyond the scout that I unlocked. Mm. And then I got excited by shiny new things. And I've come <laughs> back to the gunner and gone, you know what? You're pretty interesting. I had a similar thing probably sometime around yesterday. Yeah. Because I went scout, unlocked uh, into the gunner, unlocked, played a little bit with the gunner. Yeah. Initially, unlocked the engineer, and then just played mostly as the engineer. Like, I've got the engineer up to, like, level 20 now. As, yeah, like, I'm, like, level 17, 18 as the engineer, I think. Yeah. Somewhere in that range. Um, I've sort of started going back into the scout now the scout's the one i've not gone back to yet weirdly that like the scout after a little while seems to become like one of the the more powerful ones yeah it's it's one of those things they're not initially exciting in their their build but they do everything quite well yes and i think it doesn't help that their second loadout type uh, is a, a gun that fires only in four specific directions yeah and that can be very restrictive it can um i can like if you can survive long enough to get a a second weapon open mm. on that great perfect <laughs> but that's been one that was a little bit difficult to get into mm. the 
the the other thing, like we talked earlier about the whole like auto shooting aspect, that but there are guns that very specifically only shoot in one direction. Yeah, like the the gunner's um, starting machine gun only fires directly in front. Yes, so you have to like turn around and face things. Yes, because there's some that are like, oh, this one fires behind you, but it will auto aim within a range behind you. The gunner's like, no, directly line of sight forward is where it's going to hit. Yes, as opposed to the driller, who's very specifically about drilling and drilling holes, and their gun only fires behind them. They're First, their first weapon. Yeah, but that one does have a bit of a targeting range backwards. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's you've got a bit of control or a bit of limitation with some. Others are like just sort of set it and forget it. Some will be like targets big groups of enemies, or yeah. some will be like to always targets the thing with the highest HP, which is likely yeah. to get bosses. There's a good amount of variety in how you can do those builds. Yeah, and then, yeah there's a, a lot of variety in how you can do builds. I am enjoying, now that I've unlocked more weapons, obviously just by playing, you'll achieve certain milestones. Most of them are fairly natural. Mm. Like, you'll, by having done enough of the between level, like, permanent upgrades, and then, like, as you get upgrades, uh, every time you gain a level, there's, like, a set of, like, three upgrades you can pick, Mm. and it'll be things like, move faster, or reload weapons faster, or it might be a very specific, for a specific weapon upgrade. And that's how you get the the weapon levels we talked about earlier that give you the uh, the the eventual the overclocks at level what did we say eight uh, six six uh, eight, 18. Uh, yeah yeah. Um, but initially, you have to play with a weapon up to level twelve. Uh, unlock it to level twelve in order to unlock those overclocks. Uh, I think you've also got to play a few levels before you even unlock secondary missions, and that'll be things like collect. 12 mushrooms or four flowers or 20 of this particular mineral that uh, you'll find in, in various levels. This is all in early access, so there yeah. could still be like a bunch more stuff coming. Uh, it runs very nicely on the Steam Deck. It As they pointed out, there there are some perhaps some UI issues that could be yeah. helped along a little bit to run mm. on, on a smaller screen, but... I- Generally, yeah. like it's very stable. Yeah, um, I I keep thinking about a lot, a lot of the choices it makes that uh, there aren't really any direct analogs to in other vampire derivers. I really like that the way you start unlocking those powerful overclock uh, abilities on weapons is you have to get a weapon to I think it's level twelve. Yeah, like um, one time, which means that you're having to pick a weapon that isn't getting its first two overclocks and dedicate that amount of leveling. As, like, a committed choice yes. to then start getting those bonuses in future. And it really does lend to a sense of, like, ownership once you start going, yes, this thing gets powerful now. Mm. It, it forces you to get used to what is the weapon as a default before you start playing around with changing it too much. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting choice. Like, this game's full of really interesting ideas. Yeah, I think it's interesting looking at something like this compared to a lot of other, uh, other vampire drivers. Like, I've played... Far too many oh, to, God, to name at this same, point. Same. And the number of times I've gone, okay, they're doing that weapon from Vampire yeah. Survivors, they're doing that weapon, that weapon, that weapon. Sometimes even basically naming them the same thing. Uh, yeah. Scarlet Tower is particularly uh, <laughs> uh, particularly um, a, a guilty of, of things like that. It's like, oh yeah, I know exactly what weapon that is based on. Yeah. Um, I know exactly what that is. In fact, you've named it the same thing. Hmm. Um, like I guess there are only so many effects you can you could reasonably think of, but I think this one has done a really good job of like making a lot of its things 
its own idea. Yeah. And I, while also keeping it true to the source material. Exactly. I don't know many vampire derivers in which you can wield um a gun that that point that spirals around you sort of green toxic goop uh versus here's a little sort of radioactive um like microwave laser that'll sort of circle around trying to target things. Like these all feel distinct. Yeah. And then you've got obviously got things like the turrets which are fascinating cuz the yeah. engineer starts with basic gun turrets, mm. but then you can start to get flamethrower turrets. You can get like also, the laser fence turrets. We haven't mentioned. I don't know any other vampire drivers that do reloading, where there are periods of time where your your weapon just isn't dealing damage. Uh, twenty minutes till dawn, does it? Oh yeah, Not well. yeah. No, but it does do. But point point being, like I I like how this handles it. I yeah. think I think it does well as a mechanic. I think that it forces you to pick your build around, like. No, keeping an eye on when things can redeploy. Yeah, it's and and also yeah. just that that moment of peril of I've got a thing that only fires in one direction. I'm right at the start of like I'm I'm level one. I've just yeah. dropped in, making those first few minutes actually feel kind of perilous. Yeah, like a big big problem I have with uh, a lot of these things is they go too quickly for like over overkill overpowered. Yes. Like, the number of, of these where I've gone, oh, I've gone for, for the full however long run is 20, yeah. 30 minutes in my second or third run. And that yes. never feels as satisfying as, ah, oh, I got like 15 yeah. minutes through a run, but I unlocked like a, yeah. this and this and this and this. And, and I'm making slow progress. You want to maintain that feeling of the first seven minutes of Vampire Survivors. Yeah. That, that, I'm not quite ready for this feeling. Yeah, but I am slowly at least acquiring gold yeah. in order to buy the I'm creeping upgrades. ever further, but there's always that little spectre of I'm quite vulnerable here. Yeah, and and I think um, Deep Rock has done a really good job of that. And again, like the fact that you've got the, the hazard levels that will slowly increase as you complete more of the level-specific uh, and, and hazard-level-specific uh, tests and things like like every one of them seems to have complete the dive so do all five levels defeat the boss get home then there'll be specific things like get a specific weapon to a certain level mm -hmm. so you're encouraged to go through and get those weapons leveled yeah. up for various reasons mm. uh, then you've got the um, artifacts which you can find in the drop pod pods and mm -hmm. that could be things like mine um, certain materials when you're mining regular rock or stand still while firing and you'll get a slowly increasing uh, stacking benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, loads of different stuff like that. More and more of that that just unlocks periodically. Yeah. And and then the whole, like, the escape pod mechanic. Yes, that when you beat the sort of b boss of a particular, like, uh, floor of the, the thing you're going through, no matter where you are on the level, you've got 30 seconds to get to that drop pod before it leaves. And it's, it's, it always seems to drop in a position where you've got like, you've got a little bit of time to play with within that 30 seconds for like, if you have to take a slightly circuitous route or take a second to kill some enemies, but it's not a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time to dilly dally. Yeah. And you will often, like, if you're in the middle of a very dangerous swarm and you take a second to try and duck and weave, end up going, I am literally seconds away, like, run, and making that last minute run, ignore it, like, I'm just gonna run through some basic enemies and take the damage because yeah. I need to get on that, that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. 
Because um, there's nothing more more painful than almost making it to the drop pod and watching it just leave without you. Just go, that's it, game, your run's over. Yeah, yeah. They they've balanced that that countdown timer versus how far away they put it yeah. pretty well. I think it's it's always thirty seconds, and then it's always within a specific range of you. Mm. And the only time I've had any problem with the distance versus time is in the hollow bow levels where there mm. are impassable walls. Just mm. about every other level, or every other level that exists so far, like, in the magma core, you can run through the fire. It's yes. not good for your health, but you can do it. I've, I've but in hollow bow, yeah. you've got those big walls mm. that are completely impassable. Yeah. And that comes to, like, the only time I've experienced anything resembling what I might call uh, a <laughs> bug, because all the enemies are <laughs> Um And that was, I got to... Uh, one of the bosses at the end of the mm. stage on Hollow Bow, it spawned clearly somewhere, but I couldn't find it. Ah! Uh. Uh, but and it wasn't able to get to me because it was clearly stuck on the other side of one of these walls. Ah! Uh. And whereas most of the time they'll like be able to dig through like general walls, they weren't able to get through the impassable wall, which meant the enemies were getting stronger and stronger and stronger because <laughs> that that's a whole mechanic. As as soon as the boss has spawned, you, there's like another countdown timer. Where all of the local enemies are going to get more, there's going to be more of them spawning, and they're going to be harder and faster until you defeat that boss. At which point, it obviously triggers the escape thing, and it basically just got harder and harder and harder and harder, and I just died trying to find the boss. And that happened once, and that is literally my only complaint with this game so far. Yeah. Yeah, enjoying. Looking forward to more, and... Yeah, I, I, there's still a good amount of game left in this. Mm. I'm excited. What about you? What else have you played? I finally started playing a game that I got gifted a copy of over the festive period Ooh. and got reminded existed by a YouTube video that uh, I didn't write down the title of, but it was one about um, the best animation in video games in 2023 that we right. watched the other night. And uh, one of the games in there was a game called Cookie Cutter, which was the one where they were like, we're going to have to be very careful with the footage we show to not get demonetized. Yes. Yes. So Cookie Cutter is a side-scrolling, uh, like, melee combat metroidvania. I'm going to try and explain what the, pr- the plot concept is. In space, there is this big technosphere that everyone was like, no idea what the fuck's going on in there. People enter and never return. And... Some megacorp, basically the Amazon equivalent in this setting, managed to get whatever the fuck was in the middle of that that big uh, thing in space, and that corporation and them alone leapt forward hundreds of years in technological development and right. used that to be corporate shitbags the way that corp- corporate yeah. shitbags do. Um, someone who was working as an engineer for the for the big megacorp has a sort of moral change of heart, and they've been working on making like uh, robots for the, the for the megacorp. And they're like, I'm going to make this one very special robot who can go tear down the evil Megacorp. Mm. And uh, this scientist gets uh, discovered doing this work and gets kidnapped and her robot gets beat to shit. Um, And now she's put herself back together and she's going to go on a mission to go murder her way back to saving her creator. Okay. Um, This game is Fucking gorgeously animated. Absolutely gorgeously animated. Uh, emphasis on the gore in gorgeously. <laughs> um, it, it's one of those games where I would st- I would hesitate to say it might be a little over-animated. Okay. There are occasions where... Uh, like, it's not often, 
But occasionally if I've got like a room and it's just a bunch of platforms and I'm like trying to climb up to the top, occasionally I'll run a little further than I meant to uh, on a platform because a nice run animation is happening. Mm. But it's not a frequent issue and it's not an issue in combat and I'm willing to have that little bit of annoyance to let this game be what it is, which is a very hard game with absolutely beautifully fluid combat. Um... The way that the combat like works, uh, a little bit. The combat weirdly, the the core combat idea reminds me weirdly of of specific RPGs, and the the most recent one that does this that's been on my head is Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Um, it does the whole thing of you have regular attacks that build up a meter and special attacks that use that meter, in like that sort of recovering your magic sort of system. Mm. But in this, it's you have regular attacks that don't do much damage, but they fill up a meter that can be used to use either big tech attacks that are your sort of like big damage dealer, or can be used, um, again, kind of Hollow Knight-esque, as a resource for healing your health pool. Mm. Um, and the idea is, do a bunch of comboing the weak attacks to build up your meter so you can, you know, punch with a big cyber cyber fist or whatever. Okay. Um, and there's a stun mechanic as well, where if you get an enemy's health low enough, you can walk up to them, press the the big attack button, and you sort of gloriously rip them apart in a uh, a Mortal Kombat style finisher to get a shit ton of special move meter and health back and okay. resources. So it's it's a bit like Doom's uh, like chainsaw kills from the modern uh, Dooms. Very much like Doom's cha- chainsaw kills. Nice. So you sort what you want to be doing is like your weak attacks build up so you can do your strong attacks, but you don't want to go all the way down to no hell, or like, completely kill the enemy with the big attacks. You, maybe you're, you're coming toward the end, you start doing weak attacks again just to chip them into the range where you can do your chainsaw kill gotcha. type thing. Um, the game is difficult. It is a challenging game. Um, particularly when, like, the first time I really realised what this game was going to throw at me was the first time it locked me in a room with, like, 15 enemies and like a lot of them have telegraphed attacks that you can uh parry but i'm very bad at doing the parry it is a very tight parry window there is nothing no options to let you have um, a bigger window for parries so i was doing a lot of dodges you can get very overwhelmed by enemies in this very quickly you have to be very sort of like aware of the space you're in and like not it's got that that souls game style Mm. get a couple of little hits in and back off like don't get greedy i know that you could press the button a few more times and go a bit further in a combo but don't overextend your combo just get get out safely Mm. um it's very satisfying i don't know if i am skilled enough to be able to complete this game right like i've i've so far not hit a block where i am unable to progress and I've not been frustrated with it yet, but I the challenge level is high enough early enough in the game mm. that I can see I can see that it like it's going to escalate to a point where I start struggling, and I'm going to enjoy it until that point. But I don't know how far through the game that's going to be. Mm. Um, I love a lot of the world building. I I really like a lot of the character design, the voice acting, um, the way that the world is built. Um, it is. It is a really enjoyable space to to exist within. Um, it is absolutely a gorgeous game, and if if nothing else, it is well worth checking out some gameplay footage of because like there is so much love in every little animation this game has. Um, very much enjoying it. Don't know how far I will be able to get into it, but it, I see what the hype is about. Mm. 
Uh, what about you? You played anything this oh, week? Before it comes to me, I was going to say we were talking on the subject of, 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 of fancy and lovingly made graphics. So you're going to tell us a little bit about RZ? Oh, yeah, yeah, RZ. Um, so I binged through RZ this week. Uh, RZ is essentially a... S- Sorry, point so- head towards the microphone. Yeah. Sorry. RZ is basically a s- unofficial sequel to the two CDI Zelda games. These are the ones that you might know as having the uh, quite hilariously animated cutscenes from from back in the day, the sort of uh, very, very over-the-top, rotoscoped, exaggerated character cutscenes. No one really shows you the gameplay of that game very often, because the game itself was um, very unforgiving, not particularly well-designed, not particularly enjoyable mechanically to play, very, very brutal and unforgiving. Uh, this game is a very loving follow-up to those that has done a very good job of capturing, like, the... Uh, it's done a very good job of not feeling like a parody, uh, or particularly a mean-spirited parody. It feels like a very sincere love letter. Mm. Um, it helps that they've apparently got a bunch of people from those original CDI Zelda games to come back, including voice actors, composers, background artists, things like that. Um, I was dubious of anyone's ability to deliberately invoke the humour of those CDI Zelda cutscenes in a way that didn't come across as just forced replication. Because, mm. like, part of the charm of those old cutscenes is it was very unclear how much was intentional and how much was not in some of the delivery of how those came across. Yeah. And I'm really impressed at how genuinely well this captures the things that made those cutscenes fun and weird and silly without just feeling like a retread without feeling forced uh they've really captured the magic of that very well Mm. um gameplay wise as familiar as it looks and on the surface plays it is far less frustrating far better at checkpointing um there is a little bit a little bit of you're not always certain 1,000% where you're going to be walking on a thing because of the painted backgrounds. A little bit of that has been kept to feel in theme with the original games. Mm. It is far less prominent, and when it does happen, it's never over, like, here's here's a gap if you fall, you're going to die and have to go back to a checkpoint. It's always in a very safe situation where it evokes a little of the weirdness of how those played. Yeah, and at least generally from what I could tell... The platforms are at, like, the same height that they are drawn in. Oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> like, I could point to a couple of palm trees where it was unclear how far along the, the palm fronds I could walk. Mm. Um, but again, that never happened in a setting where it was going to be frustrating. It was like, oh, that's, oh, it's being like the old CDI Zelda's. Mm. Um, as a follow-up to the two CDI Zelda's, as essentially we made a third game in that series but changed the, the names of things around... Mm. I really like what they do to the canon of that universe, because the CDI Zelda games are weirdly still one of the only places where you can play as, like, playable Zelda. Yeah. And for a long time, it kind of sucked that the only place you really got to play as Zelda was in some very bad games. Mm. And not only is this a much more enjoyable game to play than those first two Zelda uh, CDI Zeldas were... They really lean into this is a series about Zelda being the hero. And they make some really good 
character choices that Nintendo would never fucking make um, about how Zelda ultimately is going to deal with this recurring evil. And I really like, like, genuinely, I wish that some of the plot decisions made into this, I wish were in, like, canon to the Zelda universe. There are some very, very, very good choices that I like very much. Um, I really enjoy the, uh, game-long trading quest that exists. I think it is, it is the right level of weird and silly, Mm -hmm. um, and sort of strung out game-long in the right kind of way. Um... I very much enjoy that as you dig a bit further in, you start getting some pretty cool abilities that uh, help to paper over some of the deficiencies of the CDI Zelda games in interesting ways. Right. Um, I like that there is an easy mode where if you would just like, you know, enemies to sometimes drop health, for example, um, that's really appreciated. I like that they've made this weird janky thing from the past accessible and genuinely very enjoyable. And I very much love it. I am a big... If you have nostalgia for those CDI Zelda games, but don't want to actually go through the effort of... Trying to make a Philips CDI work. <laughs> trying to make a Philips CDI work, or trying to make an emulator work, and then actually having to play the games. Like, the first two CDI Zeldas, I would say just go watch the cutscenes on YouTube and have a laugh. This is worth playing. Yeah. And that is is a credit to it. It feels like those old CDI Zeldas while actually being enjoyable to play. Um, Arzette is fascinating, and I'm glad it exists. What was your playtime on that? It, it felt like you got through it decent I think it was like five or six hours, and that was for me to like do the whole trading quest. Um, I don't know whether that time accounts like if I die and go back. I, I'm not sure what bits of that that counts. But I, I think so there's an in-game timer. Uh, there's an in-game oh, timer, and I believe it was five or six hours on the in-game timer. Oh, yeah. um, but it was a, it was a, it was the right length for that kind of experience. I think. I imagine to to carry on that sort of energy for cutscenes and things would be difficult it, to string it on. It manages not to outstay its welcome, yeah. and that is a good thing. Um, but yeah, what about you? Um, I've not played a huge amount that you haven't also played, because mostly it's been Deep Rock Galactic, but uh, also played some Wormspan. We did! Which is the uh, latest release from Stonemaier Games. Uh, this is based on uh, incredibly popular engine builder uh, Wingspan yep. uh, by Elizabeth Hargrave. This is Connie Vogelman's yeah. version about dragons. Yes, uh, Wingspan is a board game about collect a bunch of birds, they do various things, they lay eggs, you make your little diorama and that'll score you points. This is that, but with dragons and a couple of extra steps to do. Yeah, so traditionally you would have uh, three different um, environments. You'd have your, uh, I think it was tree birds, ground birds, and water birds hmm. in, in Wingspan. In this you just have three different types of cave. Yeah. And different dragons will gravitate towards different uh, environments. But as opposed to just going, yep, I'm putting my next thing down along uh, to the right of my my previous bird. Here you very specifically have to go, okay, I am paying the uh, cost to excavate the next cave so that I can bring a dragon to live in that cave. And the cave cards that you're, you're putting down as you're excavating will have uh, different rewards on. So mm-hmm. sometimes they will be like, just straight up get a certain type of resource. And other times it will be get... 
you get something and maybe everybody else playing gets a limited version of that. Hmm. So you could maybe give and, give and take on that. And then once you filled all of your caves, like as you fill your, your last um, space in with, with an excavated cave, you have a chance to go, okay, I'm going to spend three other resources, be they cave cards or dragon cards or any of the regular like uh, items. You can spend three of those to get an extra coin. And coins are basically how you register turns in this. But there seem to be a decent number of ways that you can get extra coins, be it uh, as a result of the way you play a certain dragon type, or, as I say, getting to the end there. Sometimes they'll be on cave cards themselves. So there's loads of little ways of getting like a little bit of extra action economy. And, it's, mm. yeah, it's kind of fascinating, because each of the caves is good for getting a specific thing mm -hmm. because one of the actions is that you are exploring through and yeah. that could be if you go through the top cave that seems to focus uh mostly on getting resources so you'll be getting one of the main four which would be meat crystal gold mm. or milk and you, then like the next spot on that cave you will move around the the guild track and we'll talk about that in a second then another one of uh any of the four resources Get an egg, yeah. and the last one is I think you can just cash two resources onto any dragons. Mm. It's it's kind of a um, engine uh, engine builder, sort of almost like a. Pro it feels a little like programming games in that yeah. sense of like let's say this bottommost cave that's very good for getting cave cards, uh, but I'm adding my dragons to it, and a lot of those will do things as I activate that row. Not only will it let me go further along the row that gets me all the dragon cards, but other things will sort of pop off in order along that row based on how I've built it. Yes. And you're trying to build a series of things that will, like, in some way benefit each other when you sort of work down this row of activated abilities. Yeah. Basically, the three different uh, environments you can build in, or three different cave systems you can build in, are... Um, they're, they're basically three separate small engines. Yeah. And the types of dragons you play uh, as you entice more dragons into your um, various um, cave areas will be... They'll have different abilities. Some of them will be when you walk past them, when you're doing an expedition, and that will potentially give you various benefits or give you ways of uh, creating uh, point scoring um, options for the end of the game. Some of them will be very specifically when played actions, and they will never do anything else again apart mm. from take up space in your cave and be worth points and maybe be a space to store eggs if they are uh, able to do so. Other ones will have end of round abilities that will trigger at the end of every round, and the last type will score only at the end of the game based on certain re uh, based on certain circumstances. So I had one the other day. If this dragon, this dragon will get two points for every other dragon orthogonally adjacent to it. Uh, fairly easy to, to work out. And, um, uh, like other ones, like you'll get points based on how many, like w what the personality type of other dragons in your cave are. I think I had one the other day that was like, you'll get two points for every aggressive dragon in this cave. Hmm. The art is beautiful and adorable. It is. Uh, rather than Wingspan's thing of a little bird fact about each of the birds uh, on the actual cards themselves, this just gives you like a whole extra uh, manual that comes in, in the, the box that gives you a little bit of lore about it, every single one of the dragons, which means the main cards are a bit cleaner, a bit easier to read, and uh, less cluttered, especially if you're trying to read somebody else's cards from across the the table to, to work out what's going to happen when they run their engine. And if there's some way you can make it benefit you. Um, yeah, yeah, this 
in many ways, this feels slightly less potential of giving tons of points to your uh, opponents as as wingspan. Mm. Like wingspan seem to have a lot of cards that would. Oh, if somebody else gets one of this, you get one of this, which I yeah. guess adds to interaction, but also can make you go like, I, "Well, I don't dare put that down because yeah, I I, I need to, to do my best." They're already doing well, mm. and like any uh, deck based or co- or card based game, there is always the potential that RNG will will screw you over a little bit. Uh, so anything that avoids going, "Ah, oh, yes, well, I finally got a card I can place in the right place." But it would otherwise have uh, benefited other players to play it. Um, so n- avoiding stuff like that feels feels quite nice. Because hmm. there feels like nothing worse than going, I'm already behind. If I do th- this this one thing that I can finally do, it's going to benefit someone else and put me more behind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've we've had like pretty good even scores. I've played three games against the Automa. It being a stone my game, it's got a, a, a nice Automa. It's really easy to run. You just shuffle eight cards, turn them over, and they will have uh, particular identifiers. Um, there's also a second version of the Automa Ooh. that runs slightly differently and more reactive to how you're playing, mm. which is perhaps a little bit more complicated. I haven't dived into that yet, but like the base one is, it can you can run. You're basically flipping a card over, taking like one or two actions, and then kind of forgetting about it until the end of the game. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's really nice, really easy to to uh, uh, understand. Like the number of times I played solo modes where it's just too much fucking work, and it's too much to focus on and trying to like work out what all these random fucking icons mean. Uh, this one particularly is just so easy to run. In fact, so much so that the first time I accidentally ran it wrong, uh, and and still had a really good time, but did manage to lose by a considerable amount just because of the way the scoring worked for that. Mm. Um, and, and it, it manages to work with loads of different, we, we didn't even talk about the, the guild track. It's a whole, like, little looping track that you will slowly have a chance to move around on pretty much every time you run your engine. Mm -hmm. And you'll get basic rewards for every single step along there. And at, uh, two points at the start and the halfway mark along this track, this looping track, you will get a chance to put a cube into the middle and get a special reward. Some of that will be, uh, just points. And the, but alternatively, you could just go. I'm going to put my thing here and get a reward for right now, and that yeah. could be anything from put your cube here and get uh, an extra coin and two extra resources, mm-hmm. or it could be like here's six points for the end of the game, or score based on like particular sets of dragons or the way you paid for your dragons. And uh, yeah, I think it's different enough to Wingspan that it. it like, I, I hopefully that will uh, assuage a lot because a lot of people were very angry about this. Mm. They felt like it was just a money grab or a, a spin-off. But like I've played a decent amount of Wingspan, mm. and this definitely feels very different Agreed. in a number of ways. Like the fact that you don't have to build your engine technically backwards. Yeah, you can think ahead because you're moving from left to right rather than uh, running your engine from from right to left. As in yeah. the most recent thing you played to the uh, f- first thing you played way back when yeah. in Wingspan, which can be difficult to get your brain around. Indeed. If you don't already know the game so well that, that you, you can... Know, you know your endgame route that exactly. you're working toward. Like, if you, if you know exactly what or, or most of the cards in the game are going to do, you can probably work out an engine much better and more efficiently than somebody who has 
only just playing the first couple of games of that. Mm. And I think that is definitely to its benefit. Uh, and also the components are really nice. We've got the upgraded components, but the components are still really nice in, in all the ways. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's Wormspan. Yeah. Have you got anything else you want to talk about? Uh, the only other thing that, that maybe falls into that realm that I can very quickly talk about is I took about my Steam Deck this week. You because did? it wasn't it wasn't booting up, right? Oh no. And I wanted to be playing Deep Rock Survivors on it. Hell yeah. And I was like, ah, how hard could it be? Um the Steam Deck is the nicest device I've ever disassembled. And you've disassembled um, a few at this point. I've disassembled a few at this point. Um getting like you know, eight very normal screws on the back of it. The hardest part is was just getting getting some good purchase to get the plastic clips off to take the back the plastic back panel yeah. off. Once that's off, beautifully well labelled. Everything in there is labelled as to like every single cable is labelled as to what it is. Every nice. single place where something plugs in labels what what needs plugging in there. So many of the cables have little uh, little fabric loops that you can use to, to to remove them so that you're not pulling directly on the cable material. Nice. I was trying to pull uh, I was trying to disconnect the battery and like uh, just let the thing fully power cycle, and there was a you know very little clearance to pull the the um, ribbon cable for the for the battery out of the the motherboard. Mm. There was a little loop that you could use to pull it across properly, Wowza. so that you weren't like risking you know trying to get your finger in and accidentally lifting it up rather than yeah, out. or using something small and pointy and potentially ripping the ribbon exactly. cable exactly it it not that i've ever done that <laughs> yeah no this is the the most user friendly i like it's the most i've ever opened up a consumer electronic device and gone you intend for me to be okay like someone who knows enough to follow a, a youtube tutorial mm. reasonably i'm going to open this up and go yeah, I feel confident playing around with this. Yeah, this isn't like talking about pe people doing switch mods going, okay, now you're going to need to get like a heat, a heat gun or a hair dryer and like hold it over this bit for this amount of time. Not for too long because if the battery goes up, you're in trouble. But you can yeah. here's how you take the screen off. And oh god, yeah, the, the, uh, Nintendo's <laughs> love of gluing battery, uh, like adhesiving batteries mm. into place, uh, it will never not frustrate me. Yeah. But, oh. Uh, it, it was it was a it was a treat to to fix the Steam Deck. I was like, oh, you know what? If I have to if I have to fix my expensive piece of tech myself, at least make it like this for me. Yeah. Uh, but that's everything I've played this week. Yeah. I I will briefly yeah. talk about one other thing. Yeah. I played through the unofficial um, Stardew Valley board game solo campaign, Ooh. which someone put up on Board Game Geek. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name right now. And it is a three year solo campaign rather than the, the, the standard play through uh, a set of grandpa's tasks and that is that you have to do that within one year you have to complete every single one of the bundles from mm. the community center but you also you basically have a set number of t of tasks so within the first year you have to have foraged one uh, of every season's type of forageable Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have harvested two of every type of um, crop, so every two spring, two summer, two or mm. uh, two autumn. You need to have fished two legendary, two crab pot, and five regular fish. Mm. So not super difficult. Um, you need, I think, nineteen friends by the end of it, and uh, six types of animals. 
Mm. And the first year, I was like, this this isn't too bad at all. I've done, I've done okay here. The first year, you're playing with the like starter season cards. But after that, you are just playing with the random ones. So this is the first time I've gone full random uh, for, for the second and third years. But by then, I had basically achieved all of the things. I, I did get a bit lucky in a couple of ways. Mm. Uh, like, um, I managed to get, like, quite far down the cave, almost by accident. Mm. Um, I got, uh, managed to get the mermaid pendant out fairly early Ooh. and also get a, a friend who was marriageable, which meant I had basically an extra action every turn, um, quite early on, which meant that, the first first year seemed really easy, seemed like it was going really well. In fact, I'd got like a little bit ahead of myself. The second year felt like really difficult because there was so much I extra I had to achieve. Yeah. And I had struggled a bit on um, the fishing. Mm. And then the third year, I got to about the end of spring and realized I'd done all but one thing. And the only thing I needed to do was forage a winter crop because you're allowed to go uh, ahead and do things... Um, so basically, in the second year, I had managed to forage extra uh, winter forageables and extra autumn forageables. So mm. I didn't need anything. Oh, sorry, extra um, summer and extra uh, autumn forageables, which means I didn't need them for later on um, and for the final year. So all I needed was a, one final um, autumn forageable. Uh, I'd also had quite good luck about managing to get everything I needed to uh, fill the museum. Mm. But... Um, it's a really interesting idea. I didn't end up playing all through the last year because I got to the end of spring and was like, I'm just waiting for this forageable in winter, which isn't going to be difficult. Yeah. And I've been playing for like three and a half hours. But it yeah. was a good three and a half hours and I had fun and I, I felt like they'd, they'd done a good job. I think maybe it could use a little bit of, of tweaking. Hmm. But um, yeah, as as that's like an idea that somebody put together and put out for free, very much appreciated and an enjoyable way to... Make a slightly bigger thing out of the Stardew Valley board game, which is already hey. a really fun time. Uh, what? Have you got anything else? <gasps> no, that's it. Well then, <gasps> time for this. All right, come in, come in. Hi. Um, uh, yeah, you said that there's been a haunting in the in the property. I, I suspect so. I, there's yes. been unusual sounds happening. Yes, uh, yes. sort of cold spells. I was cold hoping. Spells, yes. I was hoping you could you could confirm for me whether whether this is the case, whether I have a, a ghost here. Oh yeah, you've got very high M readings in this room. I'm uh, noticing uh, a lot of activity over here towards this plug socket. Okay, okay. Well, can can you confirm that the ghost is definitely here? And do you know if they if they can hear us if we try and give them a message? Um. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, need to switch on my special spirit helmet. Just if you just give me a minute, okay, it's going to okay. take a while to boot up. Okay, goggles down. Um, yes, there is definitely a spirit here. Oh, spirits! Uh, would you be willing to communicate with Mr. Jones? Was it? I uh, guess yes. Mr. Jones here. Uh, here. I will act as a medium between the two of you. Hello. This is my property, and you are living here as the landlord. I will be requiring rent. Don't let the fact that you're dead make you think that you can get off being a cheapskate. I'm sorry, that's that's why you, you called me here? Yes, I, 
I'm not running a charity here. The, the property is mine, and that includes any astral projected interdimensional space that happens to co, you know, overlap with it. I mean, I usually just commune and stop any sort of things like hauntings, like blood dripping. Oh, they can haunt all they like as long as they pay. Oh, spirit, did you get all that? Hmm. Do you spend much time here at the property yourself? No, why should that matter? Have you noticed the doors gone? And the windows? And the floorboards are sort of peeling back like skin? And the fires of hell are appearing below us. Um, um, is that a feature of, of the house that you've usually got? Well, then, if they want to make their own alterations, it's going to cost extra. Um, oh no, I don't. Uh, let me out. Let me out! Stupid... <laughs> so I take it they're not paying, then? I think we'll be paying with our lives! Cheapskates. Oh, spirit! Fuck this guy right up! But I had nothing to do with it, okay? Huh. What's up with that guy? I don't know. Oh, some booming gammon, I guess. Huh. Ooh! Well, there's another one over there. Huh. It... Why does it look like they're shouting and screaming, but there's, like, no sound? It's like someone muted them. It's brilliant. I'm uh, fascinated. You're right, Mush. Ooh. Ooh, I don't... Ooh, very red in the face, that seems, one. Seems very angry about our hair, I think. The colours of oh, our I'm hair. I'm from the pointing, maybe. Yeah, and the jumping up and down. Ooh, bit, bit of spit on the face there. Yeah. Ooh, gross. But again, no sound. Huh. No. Huh. 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 Excuse me, Fabian, do you know what this is all about? Oh yes, well you see, they kept complaining that you can't say anything these days, so they can't. You are brilliant. I know. <laughs> so, <gasps> what have you put in your eyes? Um, I... Tell us all the oh, terrible things you put in your eyes. Oh, I've put some things in my eyes this week, <laughs> so... Let's let's start with Madam Web. Uh-huh. Because I went and saw Madam Web, a film that I went in knowing wasn't going to be good and being okay with that. And I had a good time watching it. Not like a, oh, this is so bad I'm laughing out loud, but more of a, I am watching this with a fascinated curiosity. Like, doc. I feel like a documentarian <laughs> watching going like, I, how did we get here? Um, I will try and explain the plot. Um, I'm not gonna, I don't, I'm really not gonna worry about spoilers, you shouldn't worry about spoilers here, it's fucking Madam Web. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a woman who is pregnant, and she wants to find a spider that allegedly gives people living in the jungle spider powers. No, no mention of Spider-Man, but there's spider people in the jungle. Someone on the journey with her shoots her and takes the spider. The spider people go, mm, you're dying, but we'll let the spider bite you and then your kid will have sp spider powers, kind of. Only one power, not a spider power. Um, the villain is a man who, the man who stole the spider, got bitten by it, and he's basically evil Spider-Man. But right. because he stole the spider, the jungle cursed him, and he has nightmare visions every night of getting murdered by three spider girls. Okay. So... He, in 2003, um, based on the memories of masked spider girls he saw in his dream, creates photorealistic photos of their faces. Right. Steals access to the entire NSA mainframe. Uses it to track these girls 
ten years before they're spider people, based on de-aging photo- like, here's what I remember them looking like in Spider-Man masks, let's digitally remove the masks and imagine what they look like then, then de-age it ten years, then search CCTV footage, and he successfully finds all three. <laughs> Uh, and he basically, evil Spider-Man wants to murder the Spider-Girls before they're Spider-Girls. Uh-huh. Madam Web is the the baby that was born from the woman who got shot. She can see the future after, eventually. She has a near-death experience, now she can see the future. She is the uh-huh. most insufferable, unlikable character I've ever seen in a film. She's the one that um, hates kids, right? Yes. Yes. She Because her mum died when she was a child, she assumes... All parents are evil, all children are evil. Uh-huh. Um, like, she works as a paramedic, and she saves some some kid's mum, and the kid comes up like, Thank you for saving my mummy, here's a drawing. And she literally stands there looking at the kid like, The fuck do you want me to do with that? What the, f- the fuck do you want me to take this picture for? She has to be whispered at to go, Just take it, you can throw it away later if you want. To, to, to accept a picture from a child thankful for their saved mother like she's that emotionally detached um from Uh everything also uncle ben is in this movie the uncle ben uncle ben of spider-man peter parker and uncle ben's sister is having a child i oh can we guess what the name of the child's gonna be at the baby shower they're not allowed to say peter parker they cannot tell you that is peter parker spider-man but they so want you to know that spider-man oh oh there's a spider-man in the, in that lady um <laughs> that's a very weird phrase honestly it's what the film felt like it was doing yeah from what i heard that sounds um, accurate then uh, the rest of the film is, um, Madam Web has a vision that evil Spider-Man's gonna kill these girls. Cue several hours of, I had a vision of these girls getting, uh, something bad happened to them. Now we'll rewatch the last three minutes of the film, but I'll do something slightly different. Usually, I know where the villain's gonna be now so I can hit him with my car. That's usually the solution. Okay. Um, eventually, a big fight happens... She she can turn herself into multiples of herself now, and it's unclear how her power of seeing the future turns into that. She gets blinded, and she's in a wheelchair, and now she's Madame Web, as people know her from the comics. This film has the worst ADR I've ever seen in a film, but only for one character. There's occasional bad ADR for other characters, but the, the villain, every single line he says in the entire film is, like, a bad redub of, like, oh, this was a Japanese film, you dubbed English... Uh, actors over like the jokes they used to make in the 90s about badly dubbed kung fu yeah it's 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 that like i am convinced i cannot be you could not convince me i'm wrong on this originally that character had a different act the actor was doing a different accent like i don't know whether he was doing more of an accent or less of an accent and they decided to tone it up or tone it down but whatever voice he had they decided they didn't like and made him redo every single line of his dialogue and clearly it was a last-minute decision because of how rushed of a job they had to do. Uh-huh. I've never seen a film that does, like, time loops that has such a bad sense of how much time has passed in each loop. Yeah. Like, there are entire scenes that make no sense. The The really easy one to point to is uh, Madame Web tr- trudges half a mile through the woods to a diner she doesn't know the location of. Then, upon restarting the time loop, she drives her car to that location that she now knows the location of, and drives straight there, and takes longer to drive half a mile knowing where she's going, 
Like, she was quicker when she walked half a mile without knowing the direction uh-huh. through the woods. Um, like, it's shit like this that just does not piece together. It's baffling. It's fascinating. It's weird. Someone let this film happen. I will leave you with the the line that the film really, really, really wants you to think is cool. When you take on the responsibility, great power will come. Huh. That yeah. sounds familiar. That's the famous saying, right? That's Spider-Man's famous that's... saying. No, no. Sh- no, sh- sorry. Sh- sh- no. When, when, when you take on the responsibility, great power will come. Oh, big music swell. We said the thing, kind Isn't of. This the spider person we got from Wish. It really feels like <laughs> it. It really. It's never explained why the same spider bites two people. One of them gets Spider-Man powers. She does not. She just sees the future. She, she. There's a whole scene where she's like, oh, Spider-Man powers. He had spider powers. I got bit by the same spider. Do I have spider powers? Jumps up against a wall of her apartment, falls down, goes, nope, I don't get spider powers. No spider powers that, for you. That's, that's the whole explanation. Nope, I don't have them. <laughs> have it, nope. Uh, well. It's, it's, it's well worth watching <laughs> if you have the option to not directly pay for it. I have an unlimited cinema pass, so it didn't, it wasn't additional money out of my pocket. And you want to watch a film and, and, and just, Analyze it. It is an endlessly analyzable film. If you want to watch a film with your head cocked slightly to one side and one eyebrow raised and spend most of the time going, huh. Yeah. This could be the film for you. Yeah. Which led to us watching <laughs> Morbius. Yeah. Because Morbius is by the same creator and I'd never seen Morbius and I was like, you, you know what? Having seen Madame Web, I need to know about Morbius. I, I, the curiosity dam has broken. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of Morbius? It's crap. So it's, bad. It's crap. Weirdly better than Madame Web, in my <laughs> oh, opinion. No. And I, I say this not because it's a consistently good film, but because it takes more interesting swings. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more ambitious than Madame Web. It has more direction and more of a through plot. And the times when it's bad, it is genuinely have a laugh at it. That's hilarious bad. Yeah, it feels like it's trying to do the, you can't criticise us for having a disabled villain because the hero's also got a disability. I, yeah, there's a few. And then there's yeah. that line about Pilates that made me genuinely fucking angry. Oh my god, Because yeah. I don't know if that was supposed to be, like, just like a casual thing of, no, I'm not explaining why I have superpowers. As opposed to the number of times disabled people get told, have you tried yoga for your (laughs) disability, depression, whatever else? It's, um, this film's plot feels like it takes a few really big leaps out of fucking nowhere with no build up. I think that's the most amusing thing about it. It, it is conceptually, uh, two, two friends are both dying of an illness that is making them sort of weak and frail and they're gonna die in their forties. And, uh, one of them's like, I'm gonna go research bats and see if bats are the cure. Ah, oh, shit, I made myself into a vampire, kind of. Good thing I invented fake blood. And the other one's a billionaire. Yeah, the other one's a billionaire, he's funding the research. And the second that, oh, you, you could, your, your, your disability slash illness can be cured, but you will become a bloodthirsty ravenous vampire that will eventually need to feed on human skin and go murder, like, uh, go murdering. Mm-hmm. It, with, with, I would say about 1% of an explanation goes, cool, I'm going to go become a mass murderer. 
there's one scene that you can maybe go, I think I understand maybe what they were tri- how they were trying to set this up. It feels like it's so out of fucking nowhere. Like, it, it's zero to a thousand on the... Like, there, the villain has no arc from... I am a well, child. We barely spend any time with him. We yeah. we have we have kid gets bullied, and when given an opportunity to strike back, a bully really fucking goes for it. I mean, look, which like, I think was supposed to be the head lead up for things. Yeah, but like as someone that once, you know, I once got bullied by some people pretty fucking bad and snapped and smacked someone's head against a urinal. Sometimes that happens in the heat of the moment. Doesn't yeah. mean if you offered me. Vampire serum, but I'll be it'll be uncontrollable and I'll have to go murder people that I'd go, sounds great, I fucking love murder. No, it feels like you could almost make a good point about um the moment that the the oppressed person retaliates and and strikes back that you're trying to say that makes them as bad as the bully. Oh, a thousand percent. It 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 really it feels what the the film's trying to do with its villain is go, ooh. Uh, d- disabled person um, who who gets bullied. If you, uh, don't let them get powerful, they'll 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 fucking a thousand times more be be the bully more. They're only not the bully because because they can't be the bully. They'd be the bully if they could. It's it maybe feels they wouldn't so... want to be the bully if society wasn't so angled against them. It feels so gross. Yeah, so much like... of this film feels gross. <sighs> like, there, there's a number of moments that are just very ick, generally. There's a lot of the this... The existence of Jared Leto. Uh, yeah. There's there's a lot of this film that just feels like it has really ill-thought-through um, ideas about disabled people. Yeah. And uh, a, a, it, it feels like it's walking the line between disabled people are pitiable and there's nothing worse than being disabled and you do anything to not be disabled and ooh disabled people are secretly evil if you give them half a chance they'll be evil and powerful and kill you and like it wants to be both of those at once Mm. and it sort of does both in the worst ways yes while also being a haphazardly cut vampire action film yep the number of times I was watching things happen and going like absolutely I'm going to talk about one thing that annoyed me in this film <laughs> and it's emblematic of so many other things I won't reference which is Jared Leto is keeping a bunch of bats for secret experiments in his science lab and in the bat tube yeah he's keeping them in the bat tube it's, it's covered up but like it, you can open the, the blinds and be like ah there's a bunch of bats in here that are somehow um, flying around in a tiny little space yes. and also they're supposed to be vampire bats and <laughs> they don't feel big enough yeah so it's stated directly he is not allowed to have these bats he is not funded to have these bats he will lose his license he'll lose his research he'll lose everything and these bats are discovered we're having this conversation while the bat tube is open and all the bats are visible and his office just has a wall to ceiling glass door wall along one side of it and there are people walking past in the building no one must know no one turns their head slightly to the right to see the tube full of bats that he's very clearly on display for like several minutes of the film. At one point, he's in Jared Leto's in another room treating another patient, and he can see the bat tube through the corridor, through the glass door. I'm like, Shh, close the bat tube, close the bat tube. No, you've stated you're going to lose your career if anyone sees the bats. Close the blinds on the bat. Internal logic be damned. It's, so many of this film's things are things like that that wind me up. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Morbius sure is a film. A bad film. A very bad film. And, and Don't I'm, give it money, we didn't. 
Yeah, an, amu- an amusing time was had watching a not good film. Ah, mm. uh, what about you? What have you watched this week? Uh, I watched a video called The Dark Reality Behind Total Forgiveness on the channel um, on YouTube. Uh, Bailey Audiway. Yeah. Not someone I've ever heard of. Do you remember Total Forgiveness on Dropout? This, yes, this was the show where... Um, Grant and Alley. Yeah, Grant and Alley were doing tried... challenges to try and pay off their uh, student loan debt. Exactly. Yes. I don't, weirdly, do not remember the end of this season. And I feel like maybe we never watched it. I started watching Total Forgiveness. I don't think I ever finished it. We were watching it together at one point. Because, like, as much as it was, let's let's pay off your entire student student debts by making TV, I felt awkward watching it. Yeah, because much, I think, uh, much as the conceit, and especially from the, the initial setup, is... Because, like, the whole first episode is, like, Grant and Ali just being like, how can we just get Sam to just yeah. give us a bunch of money? How can we... Turn our need for money into content. You know, like yeah. most people earn money. Exactly. And the the concept between the two of them being like, hey, we could, you know, maybe make our lives a bit better yeah. through this and also make it into content seemed really good. And from the, like, the first few episodes, it was just a bit awkward and a little bit weird. But mm. then it did start to feel more... <sighs> if if Mr. Beast was making this, it would be much more problematic. It, the things I remember about how that went is I remember there was a turning point where they realised the amount of money, like, because of the way they were going to have to pay taxes on this, the amount of money that they were getting and the amount of money that would actually get paid off their student loans was differing a lot more than expected. Mm. And I also know that neither of them ended up with their student loans entirely paid off mm. after the series was done. I know those facts. Yeah, I think... All the, the, the So the whole concept of the show was that they were going to try and earn a bunch of money. The first episode, I think, was like 400 bucks each. Yeah. And they were... Ho- I think the last episode was supposed to be something like 75 grand. Mm. And... Initially, it was they were setting challenges, slightly humiliating challenges yeah. for each other. Like in the first one, uh, I th- I th- in one of the first two or three episodes, Ali got um, like skin dyed orange and hair dyed green. Yeah. Um, so that they ended up looking a bit like an umpalum. Yes. Yeah. And like, uh, the, like that green hair look was a look Ali ended up rocking for and while. Yeah. Um. Meanwhile, like, there was an episode, I think somewhere around four or five, where Grant had to sell all of his possessions at a thrift store, uh, like a thrift market, and, uh, or flea market, and had to make a thousand dollars. Had sold all of his stuff, mm. made a, just over six hundred dollars. And, like, I think that that might have been the same day... No, that wasn't the same day. But, the, like, the, those, like, the, the skin-dying thing and the, the yeah. selling all the stuff thing happened around the same time. And a, at some point during the show, those two almost fell out. Because yeah. Grant was having to do things that were, like, genuinely, uh, like, yeah. fucking up his life. Like, yeah. we had the, um, like, selling all the stuff, like... What have you got now, actually? Yeah. Like, you did the thing. You didn't even pass the challenge. Like, it would have been maybe fine. But the point is, you still ended up down on everything. Because whatever else, you've now got no furniture. Yeah. And I I will quickly chime in. I think that feels very different to drop out of today. Yes. Where you will frequently get, like, Game Changer episodes where it's like, the conceit is that this is how, like, money is won in the thing. And then the reveal at the end will be, actually, all of you won. And, like, there's, you know, the prize is bigger and more money than you anticipated. Uh, Like, it's not... 
I suspect some of that was uh, uh, like learned from yeah um, watching Total Forgiveness, and like the the other thing they talk about is as the the things progressed. Like the, one of the missions was uh, Ali had to stay locked in a coffin all day, mm. and um, had to listen to work colleagues doing uh, like a eulogy. Yeah, um, and like had to attend the own that like a whole funeral thing. Yeah, and Ali going from like this this was like kind of fascinating like uh after a while it started to feel like a sensory deprivation tank and i kind of like yeah. lost all track of time and apparently now they like have a whole meditation thing mm. going on now like they meditate regularly every day and have a whole like mindfulness thing and it's like generally been quite good yeah. for the health i think that was the day grant sold everything the the one after that was uh ali had to get a neck neck tattoo with the name of recently uh, oh. got together with uh, girlfriend, yeah. and Ali was like, "Yeah, okay, sure." And Grant's one that day was have to get on stage in front of a bunch of people and have a shit. <laughs> Here's the thing: the problem I have with stuff like Mr. Beast content, and the thing that felt really uncomfortable at, at, at beyond a point of watching Total Forgiveness was. And I think for a TV show, it's all the worse. Is It's great that you've had this idea and that you're sort of in control of the thing. But once you get a few episodes into recording a TV show, the pressure is, I can't say no or back back out because I we've already committed to filming. We've already mm. done things. Things have been lined up for me. I've accepted money now like yeah. for prizes. And if someone, like let's say the other contestant, has already done something terrible... Uh, that they had a really bad time with, you then start going, well, I can't go to the producers and say, this is a line too far for me. Can we like reshoot mm. and replan? Because, well, they didn't get to for that last thing. And you start both, I imagine, locking yourselves into feeling like you can't back down. I would imagine there and is some degree of that. Yeah, that that you need safeguards in place for a thing yeah. like that. Of yeah. The ability to go, I know the conceit of the show is that we're going to go through misery, but... I need to red card this. And I also get from a point of living in America where you have student debt issues and yeah. working multiple jobs and all the uh, all the other problems plus healthcare issues. Yeah. The whole, you know, trying like going, you know what, I would be willing to debase myself in some game show or other or yeah. or, 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 or for some kind of content to make money. Yeah. Like I I you know, I I get how people have got into these situations, but like it felt like all of the things like were a little bit awkward, and Ali ended up like feel generally feeling quite positive about all of the things. Like the tattoo was fine, yeah. the getting locked in a box turned out to be a really positive experience. And, <sighs> but whereas, like one of another one of Grant's ones was going on stage doing stand-up comedy in front of a room full of strangers and performing um, the, in a, a set that Ali had written. Mm. Um, it l was later discovered that they were all fans of Grant's. That did not know that this was a bit. Oh. Um, and I think Ali, the the equivalent that same day, was having to try and convince your recently moved in um, housemates that you're in some kind of M MLM and like being fed like through an earpiece, I... like things you have to say about your MLM. <gasps> and it felt like, like I can understand how we dropped off of, of this and never really thought about it again until I mentioned yeah. it earlier today. But the ending... Mm. Is ultimately what we missed from that. So they got they get to the end. Um, they are on kind of vastly different amounts. Yeah, and Ali is feeling 
a bit shit about the fact that their friendship is kind of falling apart in the background. Yeah. And the final day's challenge was... Uh, Ali's challenge to Grant was you have to come out and have a nice day. They went to a theme park with Aww. a bunch of people. And Grant's challenge to Ali was come to a bar and drink these three drinks with me. And Ali poured out the last drink. Just like, nope. Just like, that's so sweet. Oh, gosh. It's... I understand what prob like I feel like I can guess what led to Grant being given a worse time. And like looking from the outside cynically, Grant is often in a lot of like game changer content the first person to agree to like voluntarily up the stakes on debasing themselves. Yeah, constantly. But that's always in a situation where they are volunteering the embarrassing thing they're going to do. It is ultimately still in their control. I imagine that it's that one Game Changers episode that I think ended with Grant drinking out of a toilet. Yes. Um, But again, that was a suggestion that Grant made to try and outbid the other people. It was still something Grant had control over. But I can see how in the early days of trying to make this kind of content... With Dropout, uh, Sam Rush could end up in a situation of, well, it's okay if, or, or, or Ali could end up in a situation of, it's okay if a, if Grant gets a big challenge because Grant's the one that does big silly things. I can see how if you've got a bit of a reputation around the office, like I imagine a lot of this hasn't necessarily come out of the kind of thing, like we haven't had the breaking news episode where we learnt so much about yeah. Grant personally. But like I can, I can see from like for Ali's point of view, just going, oh yeah, you know, this is oh this is just like a silly thing, like pooping in front of people, trying yeah. trying to get a boner on command, um, doing bad stand up, like yeah. individually, none of these things feel feel super bad. Uh, I feel like the selling of shit that's, thing that's went a the, bit too that's far. That's the one. That's the one that like I can understand that being a friendship breaker. Yeah, like the the second that. My day-to-day life is going to be permanently negatively impacted. Yes. Like, I'm and already skin and working three jobs. Yeah. Now I don't have a that's, bed. That, that's the one that, like, it would hurt mm. that someone would challenge me to that. Someone that I thought was a friend would would make me do that. Yeah. That would hurt. And I, I can imagine that one. Mm. But but again, this is maybe why the challenges needed to be picked by a neutral third party, perhaps. Yeah. Um, you know, to keep someone some to go. Of... That is too far. Yeah. It, well, that is unsafe for you personally. Yes. Dropout today seems a lot better, and that was one of the first dropout shows I remember. I feel like that it... is is almost certainly somewhere they learned from. Just to go, no, we're ne- we're not doing a second series of this. Yeah. We are going to be a lot more careful about people's well being generally. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I don't like stuff where people's mental health is put at risk because there is the dangling of money you know they need. Yes. Um, I stumbled upon a clip of a Mr. Beast video the other day. Um, I don't watch his content, but I stumbled upon, uh, he locked a friend in a coffin, a, like, uh, a partially buried coffin to make sure there wasn't any light visible. Right. Um, and it was, you have to spend... 24 hours in this coffin but you are in pitch black with zero way to tell the time and if you if you leave before the 24 hours is up um you you get nothing and this person like quite psychologically torturing themselves because of the like how quickly they lost track of time staying in there for nearly two straight days because they were like yeah but what if it isn't 24 hours yet and i lose all that money and like shit like that is it's not okay to put someone through torture no. because you know they need money. Yeah. Like, that is just fundamentally fucked up. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, uh, it sounds interesting. I'm not surprised I didn't finish Total Forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad it ended well and that they, they have vastly repaired their friendship. Yeah. But I can absolutely see how at some point we just dropped off of that show and never went back. Yep. Um, what have you watched? Anything else? I today watched a silly, light-hearted children's film at the cinema. Uh, I yeah. watched Migration. Okay. Which is an illumination, the Despicable Me Minions people ah. uh, film. Uh, f- first of all, I forget that children's films sometimes do this. There was like like a ten minute long, just different animated short before this. Yeah. In the Despicable Me universe, I think it was a villain from one of the Despicable Me's got like ended up trapped on the moon, and it was him and a minion trying to find their way back to Earth for ten minutes. Okay. It was it, it was like watching a Wile E. Coyote cartoon where there is no Roadrunner. Right. Where Wile E. Coyote is still trying to do the Acme style, build the things that will then fail and you'll probably get hit by something heavy. Uh-huh. But it was a science nerd like trying to slingshot himself into space or whatever. Right. Uh, harm- harmless uh, stuff. It was well animated. I will give it that it was... It did a good job of doing the sort of like squash and stretch Looney Tunes style slapstick animation in mm. 3D. And capturing that that variety of animation in 3D quite well. Um, but yeah, migration itself, uh, the concept is pretty simple. Uh, there's a family of ducks. The dad is absolutely fucking terrified of everything, wants to stay in, in the one pond. Other birds go migrate. Migrating sounds great to the rest of the family. They want to go see. Um, it sounds migrate. Ah, I think it was. I think it was. Was it Jamaica? They're heading to. I think it was Jamaica, and they 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 try and migrate. Events happen along the road. Um, a, a portion of the film is spent going, "Ah, oh, shit, we're in a city. We don't know what a city is. We've lived in a pond forever." For a while, the film kind of becomes Chicken Run, in in that there is a re- there is a recurring villain who is. A chef who likes to make duck a l'orange, who is really, really, really fucking intent on having very specific ducks. He's uh-huh. he's he's got a he's got a helicopter and a vendetta, and he wants those ducks. Uh-huh. Um, that is that is the closest to an antagonist this has. Uh-huh. It was an enjoyable little adventure film with very low stakes, but like it was it was well paced. It had some amusing vocal performances. Um, nothing that happened in this film was in any way consequential, and I will not remember that I've seen this film, you know, <laughs> uh, a month from now, I'll go, uh, Migration? Uh, what was that? Uh, sorry? I had an enjoyable time where nothing meant anything and nothing will stick with me. Brain off, you enjoyed that. Exactly, exactly. That that was basically it. <laughs> but we did watch a heavier thing this past weekend. We did. Um, a film that you have seen and I have never seen before, despite yeah. wanting to. Um, looking for a friend at the Seeking end? Seeking a friend for the end of the world. Seeking a friend for the end of the world. Um, that's, that's a hell of a fucking film. So the premise of this film that is set up quite early on as a, like, a, a radio announcement, that, uh, imagine that the asteroid from Armageddon is heading towards the Earth, that the, uh, ship went up there and they were, they were planning to try and, uh, destroy it. And then the ship gets destroyed on the way to the asteroid, and there is no way of stopping it. So in two weeks, an asteroid that's 18 miles wide is going to just completely obliterate the Earth. Yep. Which will absolutely, very definitely destroy all life, aren't it? Yes. And our main character, we meet 
uh, you know, um, him sitting in a car. Yeah, sitting in, in a traffic. car with his 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 lady friend, his wife, uh, his his wife, and uh, the announcement happens, and she opens the car door and sprints away. And that is the last time she is seen. Yes, she does not want to spend his. Uh, her, she does not want to spend her last two weeks with him. And it is one man trying to work out how he's going to spend what little time there is left. Yep. When you absolutely know when the end is coming, do, how how will you spend yeah. that? And it is it is like an interesting look at all of the sort of possible possibilities you could expect from that. Yeah. From. Uh, rioting gangs down the street setting fire to cars and buildings. Yep. To eerie silence of people just not knowing what to do with themselves. To people keeping their routine up and yep. uh, in some cases like completely flat out not acknowledging what is happening and just living life as if it wasn't going to happen. People forming little communes on the beach. Yeah. It people is. People starting drug orgies in uh, roadside <laughs> restaurants. Yep. It is in part a film about the ways that the world might deal with the trauma of knowing what is coming. It is part one person's journey to try and not be alone at the end. It is a buddy, sort of buddy road trip. Yeah. It is a few different things all threaded together with we know what's coming and that is the connective tissue for all the things this film is. Yeah. Um, <sighs> it's... I was worried because a lot of the films that came out around this time, I was I was kind of worried that this might not have aged well. But I remember that at one point it was one of my favourite films. Mm. Um, I think partly because it is that whole journey of like how how will you deal with humanity? How will humanity deal with certain things? And uh, sometimes finding the best of people, sometimes finding the worst of people. And the best of people gathering together in, like, little pockets. And acts of, of maybe something a little bit selfish that turned into something very generous and kind. Mm-hmm. Um, letting things go. Trying to c- s- gather as much of, of the last of things to, to yourself. Trying to make up for mistakes of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, being a bit more free about how how you express yourself and feel because there's no point sitting on things because there yeah. isn't going to be too much more. It's a hell of a film. It is yes. it is heavy at times, it is bleak at times, it is uplifting and joyous, it is cathartic. It it made me feel a lot of the feelings I felt playing through Goodbye Volcano High. Mm. I it, it it is a similar style of a bunch of complicated, messy people trying to deal with their feelings when they know the end is coming. Mm. And I am apparently a sucker for that as a genre. <laughs> apparently, uh, that that is just a thing that that I find deeply satisfying. But both of them, I think, I, I think, do that whole thing of you go through a lot of the stages of grief with this film. Mm. Like there are moments where it's going to reinforce. You know, uh, qu- uh, you know, bl- kind of bleak feelings. There are going to be times where it it, it feels it, it reinforces that sort of calm of acceptance. It really does go through that whole spectrum of ways that you might feel about the scariest times in the world, mm. and I think it does those very well. Even if it was one of those things where we finished it, and I was like, I don't, f- I I need to just sit for a bit because. Mm-hmm. Anything I put on after, like too close after this, is just going to feel really pointless. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, it's gonna feel really frivolous to put on just some YouTube video. I'm like, I need to just, I need a bit of a buffer from what I've just, has happened. Yes. This was not a be playing Deep Rock Survivors while we watch film. No. It's this a, was a put that down and pay attention. It's quite emotionally draining if you're not ready for it. Um, I don't know why, just something floated back into my head the other day. Um, I think because I heard one of the songs that happens right near the end of the film recently, mm. and I was like, I feel like watching that film again. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was basically exactly as I remembered it. And I, 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 I apparently had less reason to worry than I, I, I had thought. There was yeah. a period when I was watching older films that I had enjoyed a while ago, and a lot of them turned out to be like, Oh yeah, now that I watch it with like a slightly more understanding <laughs> of the world eyes and, you know, a slightly more educated, I realise that the, actually this film is terrible and a lot of the, the people in it are also awful. So, yeah. But yeah, this 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 one was a good one and I enjoyed it. And um, yeah, beautiful, bizarre, silly, very emotionally draining. But yeah. Uh, enjoyed it. That's seeking a friend for the end of the world. Yeah. Have we got anything else? Um, I think that's basically it for me. Anything else for you? That's it for me. <gasps> well then, time for this. Hey, Laura. Yes. We've got a new sponsor. Who's our new sponsor? Well, stay with me on this. Okay. Dot lol dot net oh. is the sponsor. Oh, so have you ever had an idea that's a bit wild and a bit out there and a bit zany? No, uh, one of those ones where it's like it's gonna sound it's gonna sound stupid, but like hear me out. It, it'll make sense when I get to the end of it. You need to listen to the first twenty episodes of this particular thought, and then it gets really good after <laughs> exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Right, that you've nailed it. Yes. So, what if there was an app where you could send a message to a friend? And they will not be able to turn it off or stop listening to it or look away or not pay attention until the message is read out and and they'll get to the end. You can guarantee they will have heard the whole thing rather than just going, too wild. No, it'll never work. Like within the first few sentences. Exactly. Look, I know the opening sentence of this start with you know uh, uh, a pitch uh, like I'm having to go on a whole backstory about some piece of media you haven't seen to make this make sense but I promise once I've explained to you those three obscure anime you're going to understand what I'm trying to get at here right you know you know Jello you know that Jello can come in various colours you know that elephants exist stay with me here I'm staying with you because of the app exactly because of the app what if 12 ton jelly elephants Jellifants, if you will. I, I mean, I, I wasn't with you until you said rainbow jell- coloured jellifants. You said je- rainbow jellifants. I'm I'm in now. Right. I wasn't with you for most of it, but I stuck with you, and then you said rainbow jellifants, and now I'm in. Right. Exactly. So that's stay with me on this dot lol dot net. Enter the code Q and P S episode two hundred and ninety five promo code. Stay with me on this code. And you can get the app for free. Ooh. Ooh, free app. Just free. You don't have... You st- that was it. I hope oh. you stayed with me on that. Because I, I, that, just about. By doing so, you have got the free app for free. Ooh. I'm in. Inside the boardroom of Supremacy Software. Hi. Hi. So, uh, we got people bugging us again. Solemn JPEG. Uh, I mean, we gotta, if we're gonna solemn JPEG this, we gotta, we gotta workshop it. Right, uh, right. So, 
People have been talking about a word I don't like recently. Right. They've been talking about preservation. Blah, blah, blah. Like jams? No, no, like, oh, I own my game once. I want to own it forever. I want to make sure I can play it a million years from now. I want to make sure that I, if I own a game, I own, always own it. Blah, blah, well, blah, blah. Well, how are we going to sell them the same game again on a, their new newest version of the same console? Exactly, exactly. You know, you, you know, planned obsolescence is, you know, just part of the gig. But, right, we planned you know, that. People are going like, oh, make a DRM-free version. You God. Know, I know, right? Oh, my God. On PC, make a version where I, you know, can just boot it up a million years from now and it'll still work. Blah, 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 blah. And... Obviously, I fucking hate that idea. I think that's terrible. Right. So, right. I've been working on a way to try and uh, pitch this, uh, you know, pitch so- some other way of doing things. Right. So, here's here's what I'm working on. Let me know if you think this works. Okay. Uh, oh, you want game preservation. You want uh, games kept safe and, you know, in an environment where no one can change who controls access to the game. Right. You know, you want it so that whoever owns the game owns it forever. You know, you agree that that's the best way to preserve a game, right? Right. You know, person who owns it owns it forever. Right. So, what better way to preserve games than us keeping the game safe by limiting your ownership of it? Right. By which I mean you don't own it, you just own a license, we own the game, and we own it forever. You get a license to our vault. Exactly. And then it is preserved forever. Exactly. We will preserve it in our collection forever so that we can strip mine it and re-release it over and over and over again. Exactly. Right, I think that's I think that's better than them preserving it. Right, that, that's I mean relying... they might lose it in like a house move or something. Exactly, that's relying on an individual to preserve it. Yeah. we are a corporation with lawyers and stuff. Right, we we surely we're better equipped to keep it safe. Yeah, I mean I know I know I am. I would trust me more than them. They're I would poor. Trust them. Yeah, yeah. I mean they're poor. I mean any good thing could happen. They could have everything repossessed and then then preserves it. Not, not them. Not them. Not them. No. 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 no, no. Us. We, us. We. We keep it. We are fucking geniuses. <laughs> I know. I'm gods of preservation. Hell yeah. So, huh, what have you put in your ears? I put a couple of songs in my ears Ooh. that I hadn't heard before, so I got a couple of songs I can talk about. I listened to a track called Cracker Shot by a band called Q Bomb. Uh. It's a sort of rock track with a fast chiptune uh, sound running through it, and a quite heavy vocal line that goes very sort of like growly, um, like metal in places, hmm. but that keeps some melody, up, uh, some of the melody uh, with some like, it's got a bit of an upbeat sound that is helped by the presence of things like as like xylophone and triangle sounds that will occasionally like hmm. alongside the chiptune stop the sound of it being too heavy. Um, okay. It is an interesting track that mixes sounds quite well. Mm. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, I listened to a track called I Wanna Die by Teenage mm. Bottle Rocket. And here's what I can say about it. it. It sure is a song about feeling like you wanna die. But uh-huh. it's but it's maybe the most danceable, like, fast-paced rock track that I have heard in a while. <laughs> I want to skank at triple speed to it. Okay. I, I want to knees up, like... Uh, like knees up at double time pick to it this. Up, pick it up. Pick it's, it up. It has an incredibly gu- danceable guitar riff that I really, really want to dance out my angst to. Like it's, it is so weirdly catchy for a song about wishing you were dead. Uh-huh. It is. I, I, I don't know how to feel about it, but it's very, it's very stuck in my head. Okay. Um, 
And I listened to a track called Once More for the Ocean by a band called Slothrust. Uh, a very ethereal sort of femme rock track about feeling like everyone is taking too many pieces of you and finding a space of your own in the void to just heal for a while away from people picking bits away of what you are. Mm. Um, really, really neat track. Um, very, very interesting one I want to go back to. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of bits of music I listened to this week. Mm. What about you? What have you listened to? I've not listened to a huge amount, but I, I figured that it's been a couple of weeks. Um, and I would mention again that we've been listening to the Magnus Protocol. We have! This is the sequel to the Magnus Archives, that long-running series of horror short stories with a through-line, and this is a sort of sequel to that. A sort of sequel, yes. This, however many episodes we're in now, it... This week is the seventh. There is considerably more plot outside of the horror stories in this than uh, than at least early Magnus had. Yes, because early Magnus was very much person recording story person recording story. Very occasionally, uh, for a little tiny bit at the beginning or end, you might get a, a some sort of explanation about how the archivist came to be here, or the fact they're unhappy with how untidy things yeah. are. But it was usually like a minute or so, yeah. maybe, of just like offhanded I- comment. Uh, some of these Magnus Protocol episodes, I would say more of the episode is office politics than it is the short-form horror story of the week. Yes. Like, sometimes that is less than half the episode. Yes, it seems to be more meta than plot, if, it, if, if that is a decent way to describe it. It's been interesting. Mm. It hasn't felt like it's doing the same thing as Magnus Archives. Agreed. The stories that we have heard have felt unusual, bizarre, maybe even delving into the realms of like creepy pastorish, but mm-hmm. haven't felt like that very or very often haven't felt like the first person um experiences of experiencing fears and and terror terrifying things happening yeah there is there has been a very different slightly more chaotic nature to the stories yes um and i i i think we're starting to see little bits crop in of that might be an element from the magnus archives coming up in an unexpected way in some of these stories and I can maybe have some hypothesizing about what is making these horror stories different from the ones in the Magnus archives. Yes, although I wouldn't talk about that for fear of, of no. spoiling. No, I'm not going to say anything spe- later. Uh, yeah. Magnus archives. I'm not going to say anything specific about that. But I, I think we're we've got enough of it now that I'm starting to have guesses about why these stories feel a little different. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have, I have theories, and I am looking forward to sitting down uh, with our other uh, Magnus enthused friends and and doing a bit of theory crafting and talking and uh, excitedly uh, getting on with that. I think so far I've been like a bit unsure. Like I've been interested in the characters. There seem like some of the office politics seems to be like, um, like power struggle type stuff hmm. some of it seems to be like we've been doing extracurricular activities we're running our own businesses on the side we shouldn't talk about and then this week's episode happened and 
I do not know what to think. Mm, I have so many thoughts. It's, I think by virtue of the fact that some of it has been written by guest writers, mm. that it hasn't felt quite as consistent as Magnus Archives did. Yeah. I imagine that there is some framework that they have to work in to work with the metaplot. I, I, it might be too early for this, but I have a thought that's been sat in my head a little bit mm. about the way that this feels and comparing it to something else. And I'm not saying this is the case. It's reminding me a little of um, when the Adventure Zone finished the balance campaign ah. and started doing future campaigns. And one thing that happened there was the Adventure Zone didn't start as this big, grand adventure. It built mm. there over time, but there was a feeling of trying to jump straight back to that finale point at the start of the story with their next campaign. Yes. And I I have a little thought of maybe that might be a little of what's happening with the Magnus Protocol, mm. that that built up to its bigger, wider plot very gradually over time. It it gave, like, it gave the the core horror time to breathe before it built the rest of its world. Mm. And this does feel a little like it's trying to jump straight to the amount of outer plot that was present by the end of a very long story. Yeah, agreed. And, and like, they've even admitted that the first series of Magnus, like, people have talked about, like, what was this related to? What was that related to? Because yeah. By virtue of, of how it ties in with the metaplot. And like the Johnny said, like it was supposed to be this, but it was very early on, and we didn't quite have everything where 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 it would later get to. And although yeah. like the ending was set as a target nebulously from the beginning, yeah, and the length and so forth was all set from the beginning, things did change and mold slightly, and yeah. as they got better at crafting, and as the, as the certain people came on and off of the show. And uh, as just ideas just gen generally yeah. floated in, and, and that did obviously change things a little bit and improve the way they write and, and get more yeah. to that. But I think you're right that this does feel like it's trying to do, maybe not like final season, but it is trying to do uh, an, a, a, a much higher start point. Yes. Which is difficult it, for onboarding for us. Yes, it, and it, it's tricky because it's requiring a lot of there's a, a very high density of, like, most episodes have, like, introduced a new character or a new thing. Like, mm. it, it feels like every episode there's something new to keep track of in what already kind of started as a lot to take in. Yes. Because uh, in the first episode, because I've re-listened to most of the first yeah. episode today, we've got three people talking at the beginning who, obviously, we get, we get names for. Yeah. We get two sort of, like, manager-type characters that are going on in the background. We've got the new starter, who I guess is supposed to be the audience surrogate for a lot mm. of it. We've got uh, a, an extra character who's uh, like a little bit separate from everything else. Mm. Um, then we've got obviously the two short stories that we get uh, in that pilot episode, and then by the by the second or third episode, we've got more office politics going on between other certain characters. We've got uh, other people that just seem to have completely vanished and may not be heard of uh, again for a while. We've got the, all of the stuff about like the like the names of the computer voices that are, are mm. randomly given, which again difficult to to link in because there is a sort of nonsenseness to that and and frivolity based on uh, flippancy rather I should say mm. based on how uh, a certain character treats a lot of that stuff. 
And then I'll, by, I think the end of episode six, a whole new character is just like, oh, I'm starting as well. It's like, oh, there's already so much going on. And I, I haven't even managed to like make thoughts about how certain stories are connected, let alone how all these mm. characters are connected. Yeah. There's a lot going on. But um, yes, fascinating. I love the sound design. Mm. And uh, I feel like this is going to be maybe a hard one to recommend to people. It's. I feel like in, in years to come, it might be like, yeah, you'll probably want to get like 20 episodes of the first season. But once you've got all of that packed in, it'll be really good. Because mm. I have no doubt that it will come to be a, yeah. a, a really good thing. But this this has been a difficult onboarding. More difficult than a lot of that it, sort of it, shows. It's one of those, I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt because of how good the Magnus Archives ended yes. up. Uh, I'm giving it more leeway than I would something from a new creator, probably. In terms yeah. of the... the uh, not not uh, being being willing to wait out certain things and see how they they level out a bit. Yeah, I feel like almost like I think if this was any other creator, this is the sort of thing I might have gone. You know what? I'll just wait until like there's ten twenty episodes out, mm. and I'll just binge the lot and and see what happened from there. But uh, as it is, uh, I kickstarted it, so I've got early access yeah. and ad free, so I want to enjoy Ooh. all that. But Yes, um, enjoying it so far with caveats. Yeah. Did you listen to anything else? No, that was it for me. Well then, time for this. Hi, hi, you the Dales? Oh, yes, hi. Yeah, so thank you for coming along today. We've got this beautiful uh, property to show off. Uh, and, uh, like, obviously you've uh, wandered through the, the woods to get here, I'm sure... You've uh, seen how beautiful the surroundings are here. Oh, lovely location. Very desirable residence. And here, of course, we have the, the development here in the middle of the woods. Beautiful. As you see, a beautiful garden here. Quite, yeah, quite, yeah. quite, uh, the lovely, the lovely fences there. Lots of natural wild flowers going there. We mm. don't, we don't have any lawns here in, in the, uh, woodland forest development. Beautiful, spacious living room here. Very, very, yeah. uh, very lovely, cozy. All the latest designs very well insulated. So you don't have to worry too much about heating. It's not difficult Ooh. to do so. And you'll notice just, it, there's just a warm, sensation just a warm mm, smell as you walk in into the house and then obviously you have uh it's all a single level we don't have any stairs obviously so Ooh. that we're not interacting too much with the the trees up there so obviously you can keep keep the natural skyline looking oh. from above uh, obviously we have uh here we have an extensive double bedroom another Ooh. double bedroom on the other side they're both with ensuite bathrooms the uh separate toilet over here for anyone who uh, needs when someone's uh, in the shower, and it also saves anyone <sighs> walking through the bedrooms there. We have a, a lovely kitchen space, all open plan over here. Naturally, uh, we have uh, all of the all of the usual white goods that we'd expect, all pre-installed yes. in here, and lovely. And it's, uh, the whole place is going for uh, just under fifteen thousand pounds. Oh, I mean that that sounds wonderful on the the price range. I. I do have to ask mm. about the smell. It is a lovely smell. It is a lovely smell. But but looking at those walls, mm. is the place made of gingerbread? You think perhaps that the gingerbread housing development of the Enchanted Woods might be made of gingerbread? Y yes. 
Yes, it's made of gingerbread. Definitely the, gingerbread. The concern I have is I might eat the walls, and that's probably not good for structural integrity. Oh no, that's fine. It's uh, it's all enchanted. It's all magical, so we'll just we'll just grow back and be fine. Doesn't go stale. When can we move in? We'll take it and a glass of milk. <laughs> Hey, 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 wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Uh, uh-huh. Earth just got patch notes. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Check, check, what's, out, check, what's... check out, right? Okay, right. There's new weather types. Uh-huh. Warm snow. Okay. Laughing mist. Cool. And chill out rise, which I'm told is a sort of early morning weather that's just like really calm and relaxing and just just really nice to be in okay uh wealth has been rebalanced um sure in in the in a good way yeah yeah, yeah. like so like all the all of the money's been like more equally distributed oh, amongst okay. amongst all the people there's now like a like a, a solid cap on how much you can have oh so it just you just can't have m- like too much no more bill- billionaire not possible anymore oh. billionaire been completely written out that's pretty good right wing political levels have been reset to minus two from minus two thousand oh. and left wing political levels have been reset to plus two from minus two hundred oh okay capybaras with wings crude oil is no longer suitable as a fuel source oh so that maybe will help the environmental stuff i guess so uh the oceans have been reset to version 1.1.5 i'm not actually sure what that means but that does seem to be like a rollback on the whole destruction of the oceans thing that sounds like a positive i can't imagine it's not hopefully there's less poop in it Ah. uh they've re-implemented the fey peoples added dragons okay trans people have got their powers back apparently previous versions Kept reporting that uh, that we had various powers, uh, like it was being reported, like oh, the the trans people they're doing this and that they've got the power to do this and that thing. But actually, now that's been corrected, and they we do have in fact oh, those powers are functioning. All, now. We we have all of those powers oh, that they claimed we did. Okay, that's so, pretty you know, cool. That's good. Uh, colonized nations are being reset, oh. and the recent occupiers are being moved to a new eighth continent. Just like all huddled together. Oh. All of the like imperialistic nations living on stolen lands just all wedged together on a weird eighth uh, huh. continent just just together now. Oh. And they've added a select screen for additional ear and <gasps> tail customization for humans, dolphins and Bigfoots. Well, I guess that's an announcement in and of itself, I suppose. Yeah, I didn't know dolphins would be big into like cat ears and stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I want to see more of? What do you want to see more of? Brochure Justice Warriors. Brochure Justice Warriors? Yeah. Alright, Larry. Alright, Barry. How are you doing? Oh, mate, I am tired in ways I cannot fully explain. Oh, well, yeah. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, you doing alright? Oh, I'm doing alright, yeah. doing alright. Been, uh, been, been thinking about things I think about a lot, but in new combinations, you oh, know. Right. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, we're both in agreement about universal basic income oh, being yes. like a necessary good yeah. that the world needs to yes, get to. Needed. Exactly. Until you know. such time as we, you know, completely remove capitalism as a concept. Exactly. UBI. Exactly. You know, at least like a, a an amount you can survive on as yeah. a minimum that just everyone gets without having to earn it. You know, absolutely. We, you know, we both stay in the same place on that. Oh yeah. And we don't 
you know, need more excuses to be in favour of universal basic income. But I was thinking of a new reason to be in favour of universal basic income. Oh, do so. It's a bit bit of a roundabout one, but I've been seeing a renewed uh, set of worries about AI uh, art recently. Right. Because, you know, there's... There, there was that 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 quite scary initially seeming new uh, AI video generation tool that was doing the rounds. That yeah. you know, it now seems you know the company that made it owns uh, a stock image and stock video library, and it sure seems like a lot of its uh, very impressive results it's spinning out are actually just slightly tweaked uh, stock footage they already own. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that aside, you know, for a moment, you know, as is continually happening at the moment with AI art. Yeah. Another wave of people going, oh, God, am I going to lose my creative uh, career uh, to machines automating shit? And, you know, there are many things we need to do about, like, you know, regulating AI stuff in the arts, well, in all spaces. But I was thinking about it in relation to, you know, what, what, what we do to, you know ensure that human-created art can still continue to exist in a world where, you know, AI stuff exists. Yeah. And this is why I was certainly about the universal basic income, because, right, yeah. you know, if there's anything that's, like, gonna help humanity to make art, that's the weird kind of art that AI's never gonna make. Because, right, like, yeah. AI's all about predicting, like, what's the most reasonable next... Th- what's the most reasonable thing to go here? Right, it, yeah. It's not designed to make, like, you know, weird shit that's a not bit not gonna surreal. get your Hieronymus Bosch uh, Exa- garden of earthly delights Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, universal basic income, basically the best way of us get, you know, humans having enough time to take the risks to make your weird, weird fucking art. To do... Yeah, sh- you know. To do the art shit that might not fucking work out, but you're going to spend three days trying it anyway, shit. Yeah, the sort of creative endeavours that are not for any purpose, just for the, the joy of creation, you know, willing to be a bit more experimental, willing to, uh, you know, risk failure, because yeah. it's not, you know, for any per. It's not, you know, potentially waste, quote-unquote, wasted yeah. time well, that's not uh, generating income yeah. that you need to, you know, keep a roof over your head or keep your medical yeah. bills paid and uh, so forth. Well, yeah. I think maybe even more so than that, it's, it's not even just, you know, that it, it, uh, I, 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 the kind of art that you can't do because it's not productive. It's like, let's say you've got time to make some art that doesn't have to be for making money, yeah. you know, while still existing under the constraints of current capitalism, you're like, well, I only have so long to work on my my art in my own time. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a better use of my time to do what I know works already and right, to yeah, yeah. practice the stuff that's not going to feel like I went down a weird left path and it went nowhere. Yeah. That's a waste of my free time. Yeah, yeah. You know, universal basic income gives you, you know, would give you a bit of room to do the like, this is my leisure time and I'm still going to use it in an unpredictable way that might might feel like a waste of my leisure time, but I that's okay. I would like okay. to go fuck around and find out. Exactly. I would like to be able to spend three weeks doing a, like, really getting into something that might turn out to be a complete dead end artistically, yeah. but that's okay, because I didn't die during that time. Exactly. You know, I think, you know, that is important in art, it's important in science, you know, I think, you know, having that freedom to just try things and you know having without any any, you know financial pressures and you know what else having time to just do nothing and sit in front of a blank page and not feel like you need to just start trying to create where you can go i might just sit and look at this page for 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 a while today and if nothing ends up on the page that's fine yeah there's no Uh, no deadline attached exactly exactly and those are the kind of things that will uh, you know ensure that humanity 
can do the thing, you know, has time to do the the artistic things that, you know, automation is just never really going to be suited for. Yeah, and it's also perfect, you know, for nurturing creativity by virtue of, you know, just letting people dream and wander and, 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 you know, try something unusual that comes into their head rather than trying... seeking eternally for something that will be popular or will be rewarded in some way beyond just the reward of creation. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Fancy old mate. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Good luck, mate. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Right, I think go and uh, have a little nap. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a plan. Nice. So, Laura. Yes. Where can people find your things on the internet that you do that are awesome and good and, and enjoyable? You can find my stuff on the internet at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Uh, Blue Sky Mastodon. Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Go find me on a thing. I'm probably doing stuff there. What about you? Where are you at on the internet? I do not have the unified branding, but I do have a link tree. It's linkter.ee slash janiac. J-A-N-E-I-A-C. You can find uh, all of the music and make the things right. The, all the things I do. All available. The t-shirts I've designed. Uh, and you can help support all the things I do at patreon.com slash stonedmonkeyradio. For as little as a dollar a month, it makes it all worth doing. Um, so Laura, I think that's everything. Will you sing us out, please? Until next time, be a stranger. <laughs>